Welcome to Cape Christian. I know it's already been said. Also, welcome Church Online. We are so glad you are with us this weekend. Everywhere around the world, uh, I love just hearing from you guys as well. So I know I did it last uh, a couple weeks ago, but shout out where you're watching us from and, and just know that we, uh, we love you and we recognize that you are just as much a part of us as anybody who's here in the seats. Um, so we're in week two of a three-week series that's kind of a big deal for us here as a church. It's called One. And, and I think you would agree that Pastor Joseph did a great job kicking this off last Last week, great message. Um, and, uh, and so uh, we kind of planned this a while ago uh, that we're gonna actually tackle, tackle this one together. This is something um, that we wanna kind of bring to life and, and maybe make the story a little bit more, uh, 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 maybe a little bit more real as we do this together. And it's, uh, we're really excited about what we have planned for this weekend. And I just want to tell you, if you call Cape Christian home, if you have the ability to be here in person next week, you absolutely don't wanna miss it. We have something special planned. Uh, we have kind of a hands-on activity. Uh, if you miss it, we can make it up to you. Somehow we can get you in included, but, but try to be here in person because we have something really cool we're gonna do to kind of end and kick off our one initiative. And so I um, wanna say that up front. And last week, Joseph introduced this idea that we are called to be the one that goes after the one, that, that we are one, that we were one of Jesus's one, and we're supposed to find other ones who need to know Jesus. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, that should be part of what our lives are about. It's not just for pastors or church staff, but it's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And and this weekend, we just want to invite you into a story. And to me, this is a really fascinating story for so many, so many reasons. I think we could probably take three weeks just on this story. Um, but it's, it's the one story that's kind of in the middle of Luke. And you could make a really strong case. In fact, most theologians would agree that this is the one story that Jesus actually never finished. There's one story that Jesus told that there was no ending to, that there was no conclusion to, that if you're reading it at face value, it almost kind of seems like, Jesus, you forgot to tell us how the story ends. You, you kind of forgot to wrap that one up, like you're a good communicator and all, you're a great person, you're a really, really good teacher, but you know you didn't finish this story. And Jesus being the, the master teacher and leader and savior that he was, he did it very intentionally because it's actually a story that never did finish because it's a story that's still happening today. And it's a story that he actually invites you and I to be a part of the conclusion of based on some decisions we make, based on our heart, based on our perspective and based on how we go about this message of Jesus. And so this story is the third of three stories right in the middle of Luke or right in Luke 15, which is right in the middle of the gospel of Luke. In, in Luke 15, Jesus has a unique situation audience about him, and he tells three different stories that are pretty similar. And so we're kind of camping out in Luke 15 these last few weeks, uh, last week and next week. And I want to give you the setting because today what we're going to do is a little bit less of a message. Can we call it more of like a drama or a play? Can we call it that? And so if you've been to like Broadway, you have different scenes, different acts, uh, but you also need to know kind of the layout and the setting. And so as this, as this kind of unfolds, I wanna give you the setting. And here's the setting. Jesus was teaching as he often did, and he had a mixed crowd. See, certain times when Jesus spoke, it was just to the crowds. Sometimes it was just to the disciples. Sometimes it was just to the religious Pharisees and leaders. And then sometimes he had this mixed crowd. And so um, the writer Luke, he was a doctor, gave us the setting in Luke at the very first two scriptures. And he says this uh, in Luke 15, one and two, it says, now tax collectors who were not good people and sinners, sinners, not good people, were all gathering around to hear Jesus. So you have this kind of group of rebels, not good, like they're, they're either do bad on purpose, tax collectors are people who've literally sold out their own community to work with Rome. Like these are not good, not welcome, not like us people. 
So you have this group, but then verse two says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, and they must have muttered it loud enough to Jesus to hear, and they didn't have microphones 2,000 years ago, so they couldn't have been that far away. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And that statement alone is a really, really big deal because to welcome somebody to eat with somebody in ancient East was actually a symbol of approval uh, and that you are willing to be associated with them, which no religious leader or Pharisee would ever be caught dead doing. So Jesus is literally sitting and he has these kind of rebellious, not good enoughs on one side. And he's got these religious teachers of the law, church going folk, Pharisees, whatever you wanna say on one side. And he's kind of got a conundrum among him because these guys think that he, they should be more like him and spend more time with them. And, and they don't like that he likes this group and spends time with this group and they're muttering about it. And so rather than just give him a one-liner, the master storyteller that he is tells him three stories. He tells of a sheep that goes lost. We'll talk about that next week. He tells about a coin who's missing and rather than count it as lost, a woman tears her house upside down. And then he concludes with... One of the most powerful stories that I think historically has only ever been half told. And so we're gonna tell you the whole story and invite you into the conclusion tonight, this weekend, whenever you watch in the future. Because this, as the story goes, we are gonna tell a story about two brothers. Say brothers. brothers. Now, uh, we say often here that to, to understand the words of the Bible, it helps to know the world of the Bible. You need to understand how life was back then. You didn't just get to pick a career. Whatever family you were born into, you were basically destined to do whatever they did. You would live with your family. You would build a, a room or a house on the family property. You would help take care of everything. Um, and then when the father, the patriarch passed on, it would be split evenly among all of the boys. The girls didn't get any land, but all the boys would get it, except for the oldest brother would get a double portion because he had this thing called the birthright, but with that came a lot of extra responsibility, meaning taking care of mom and the family and, and, and the younger siblings and all these things. And so, um, but you, you basically lived that, you did that. And then as you got old enough, your father would entrust business to you. He would give you the, the, the family ring, which symbolized you can do business in my name. You would, you would do that. And then you would live this legacy and you would just continue to expand your land, your property. You would expand your, your cattle and all of those. And so this is the setting that Jesus is telling the story on. And the only way you could ever get an inheritance would be to your father would have to pass on in that in that culture as it is still true in the east now like in asia um honor and dignity is of the utmost importance and so you would never ever dishonor uh, your father or or to wish that you could get your inheritance or your portion or your your version of the 401k ahead of time would be so to dishonor or so to like um maybe uh, un, un, have your father become undignified that he would either cast you out of the family he could even beat you to death and everybody like yeah the kid got what was coming to him and so like honor and dignity was a really big deal. And Jesus is about to tell a story of two brothers. And so we're each gonna take the part of a brother because in this story, the two brothers are very similar to the audience he's speaking to that day. In this story, you have the older brother, say older brother. We're gonna call him the religious brother. He, he dressed well to church. He looked good, he followed the rules, he did the right things. The older brother was the box checker, rule follower. He looked good on the outside and, and I will be taking on the role of the older brother. <laughs> and then there's the younger brother, say younger brother. We're gonna call him the rebellious brother. He didn't even try. Like he's always trying to like wear hats in church. He's moved on from MJ. He's now on LeBron. Like he just, like he's a little bit of a troublemaker. He's just, he is just like, man, what's with that kid? 
And Jesus is gonna tell a story about two brothers. And you gotta understand everybody in this story understood the context of Jesus's story. And so we wanna introduce you to this story because Jesus is not just telling a story about two brothers, but he's also telling a story of the heart of God. And the real question in all of this is, is what matters most to dad, is that what matters to you? And so I wanna introduce you to the story. And the story starts off not with the religious older brother, but we actually meet the younger brother. The younger brother, whose iPad is even better and deserves the better spot. It sounds exactly the like what a younger brother. brother would say. That's exactly what a younger well, the brother would say. The older brother shows up in formal wear and wears boring shoes. The younger brother wearing his AF1s, Air Forces. The older brother that steals his LeBron jokes. I want to move this story along by telling you about the younger brother. He, gets, he does. He gets all the highlight reels in the story, right? He is like the shining, uh, the shining star in the story. They literally titled it after him, the prodigal son. But again, like Corey said, we're talking to it, or Pastor Corey said, we're referring to him today as the rebellious brother. And in Luke 15, 11 through 13, the verse says, it says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me a share, my share of the estate. So he, the father, divided his property between them. Now, right off the bat, again, just as we're talking through the context of the story, we have to kind of pause. And if you were a listener in the story and if you were in the culture, you would understand that automatically, right off the bat, the younger, um, the younger rebellious brother insults the father immediately. Because in that culture, the only way that you ever got an inheritance was when the father was either on his deathbed and he blessed him with the inheritance if they knew it was coming and he had time to bless him, or after he was dead. So the younger brother, right off the bat, starts the story by insulting the father by saying, it's basically, it's as good as if you were dead to me. How about we just move on like that? And... In, in the story, you have to think Jesus is talking to teachers of the law and Pharisees. And so he's talking to them, and he, then he displays the next sentence, which is, so the father did it. Which to them, it would have been alarming and shocking. What are you talking about? Why would the father do that? But again, Jesus, right from the beginning, is trying to illustrate something to us. That the kingdom of heaven, the fa our father in heaven, is so very different than the fathers that we may often see represented on earth. So we move on. And then we get to see, right, he divides, he divides the inheritance among them, and then we get to see, okay, well, what does the younger brother do with it? What does the rebellious brother do with it? Luke 15, it's in the same verse. It doesn't take long. It says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And I don't know which of you can, can, can kind of associate with this, but I actually grew up in a house full of rules. We grew up in legalism initially. Um, my parents got saved out of the hippie generation. Amazing, awesome, that's great. And then they got right into a church that was super legalistic. And so they just kind of regurgitated that to us for a while growing up. And I'm talking like no TV, drums were evil, TV was evil, internet was evil. Anything new that came out? Evil, demons, run, flee. Like that's how it was. And so I remember growing up in that, in that day and age and, and around four, ages 14, 15, and 16, I got to the point in my life where it was like the sentence that just ran through my head all the time. Every time I heard another rule, nope, can't do that. Nope, can't do that. Nope, can't do that. What was the sentence? Just wait. Just wait till I get out of here. And I can't imagine like in this moment, if I put myself in the moment at 14, 15, 16, and, and all of a sudden I get all the money in the world, or so it seems, right? All the inheritance money, what I would have done. 
I would have went wild. I would have done what he did. And that's ultimately what he says he did, right? He squandered his wealth in wild living. The, the younger rebellious brother, he runs off and he, he goes to all the parties and he, he has all the sex and all the drugs and all the alcohol and he gives himself to this lifestyle. And in this moment, he just throws himself into this world, right? And it was fun for a while. It was fun for a season, but just like, right, sin is even fun for a season. But then what happens in the story? As we track with the story, eventually the money runs out. And as the money runs out, all the friends start to take off. All the support system that he built leaves. He doesn't have anything to offer anymore. In fact, he's kind of stuck to these things now that have become more like addictions and a lot less fun. And he's in this moment where he finds himself, Jesus says actually, he finds himself so low that, right, if you track with the story, he starts he starts working a job he doesn't want to work just to survive. And then it gets so bad that in the job he's working for, which is to feed pigs, it says he starts feeding this from the same food that he was feeding to the pigs. This is how low he gets until he finally comes to the one solution. He comes to this final solution. Okay, I know what I'll do. I'll go back and at least, I know I can't go back as a son. We understand that from the earlier context because there's no way. I insulted him. I basically said, you're better dead to me. There's no way I could come back as a son, but I'll go back as a worker. I'll go back as a servant. I'll go back as a slave. I don't care how he takes me back, but my, the servants and the workers literally live a better life than this. So I'll go back. And he's on his way back. And you got to imagine, right? Like, just like you would today, right? Sometimes we get in front of the mirror or we're in the car and what are we rehearsing? The I'm sorry speech, right? Like we're, we're lining that thing up. Okay, what if I say this, if I say that, if I say this? And so that's what he's doing. He's on his way back. And you got to think, he's rehearsing this I'm sorry speech. How could I get back in with dad, at least as a worker, at least as a servant? And as he's, as he's working his way back, it says the father runs out to him, which again, in that culture, if you read it in that culture, it's an undignified moment from the father who's willing to run to him. Fathers didn't run in that culture. It was undignified. And yet he he goes through this undignified state to get to his son. And when he gets to him, it's almost like if I'm the son, I'm like, oh, you're going to beat me. That's what I'm bracing for. Yeah. And instead it says that the father throws, he does three things actually. The first thing is he throws the robe around his son, literally saying the external dirty appearance, I'm willing to cover up your mistakes. The second thing is he throws a ring on his finger. And the ring represented status and authority. It actually had a seal on it. So now the son can now make financial decisions for the family again. And then the final thing, he does the robe, then he does the ring, and then he puts sandals on his feet. And what do the sandals represent? The sandals represent, in that time and in that culture, servants and workers were not allowed to wear sandals into the house. They had to walk barefoot, but only sons were given a fine find leather sandals that they could wear around the house. It literally restores his identity as a son. Each thing that the father did, he's ultimately saying with each token that regardless of what you thought was about to happen, I, as a father, am in the restoration business, and I'm here to restore your honor, restore your dignity, and restore your status as a son. It's powerful. It's powerful. Two main takeaways that we get from the younger brother are these. Number one, the younger brother wanted the father's stuff but didn't initially care about being with the father. And number two, the younger brother was very much in the wrong but still incredibly loved by the father. Oftentimes we end the story 
or we, we allow that, that moment of climax to end the story and we move on. But it doesn't end there. There's another part. You see, that's actually just the end of scene one. A lot of, a lot of times we, we, we know that, that dad goes home and throws the party. It says, he says he goes so crazy. He says, we're going to kill the fatted calf. Tell the city that my son is home. Let's throw a party. And, and, and all the town and all the family celebrates. And it is, it is a compelling story. And it should always be a compelling story. And some of us, if we were honest, we are the younger brother. We're far off. We're eating. We're literally in our own mud. We created this for ourselves. Yet you need to be reminded today that there is a God in heaven that would le- did and would again leave his dignity to run to you and find you in his love and his grace and his mercy. And it says all of heaven rejoices when just one person comes home to the family of God. And it is an amazing story that I will never get tired of hearing or telling. But that ends in verse 24. But Luke, but there's like seven more verses. See, that's just scene one. That's act one. And it's actually kind of the obvious part. It's like, wow, what a dad, what an amazing. And, and there's this party and they're like, mm, 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 you know what I mean? Like it's just going on and, and everybody's having a great time. And you were like, this is incredible. Except remember this, this is not about a prodigal son. This is actually the tale of two brothers. Cause now it's the older brother's turn. Enter scene two, curtain goes up. Because all of a sudden you're about to meet the older brother and find out that he's maybe not so pumped as everybody else is, that baby brother came home. Jumping in verse 25, now it's his turn to be a bozo. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field working and doing the right thing. He was probably at a church board meeting, looking slick, making good decisions, helping the community get better. When he came near the house, he heard, that's what it says, music and dancing. That's what it was. So he called one of the servants. He's like, yo, what's going on? Oh, you didn't hear you were out working? Because that's what you do. Your brother has come home and your father killed the fatted calf because he was, uh, because he has it back safe and sound. Could you imagine the servant like, you didn't hear that? Come on, like your dad killed the calf. It's a part of your brother's home. And at which point the brother, older brother should have been like, no way. This is not that older brother. Upon hearing that there was a party going on because little bro was home, it says he became angry and refused to go in. I'm not going in there. If there's a fatted calf and that guy is in there, not my brother, I'm not going in. You can have a great time. Fine, you want him, you pick him or me. I'm a pout out here. It says, So he is indignant and refuses to participate in the family activity. In those days, if you threw a party, you were expected to be there and host the whole party. And now the father is about to release his dignity once again, not on the younger son's behalf, but on the older son's behalf. Because if you're ever hosting a party in the the ancient East and you left, the party would literally stop and they would go, where did he go? But now he's gonna leave the party and now he has to address the older brother, who refuses to go in and celebrate which should be one of the greatest moments in their family's legacy. But notice, this is where the older brother is about ready to show his hand and reveal his cards. It says the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, come on, son, this is amazing. Watch this, verse 29. But he answered his father, look. Again, if you were in Jesus's audience that day, 
And, and he said that, there, he, Jesus wouldn't have been able to finish the story. They'd have been like, oh no, he didn't. Like the whole crowd would have been like, you do not talk to pops that way. Like it was just so different than it is now. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. That's interesting. Interesting choice of words that he decided to go there. That not I've enjoyed being with you. Not I've had everything you have. Not we've had great moments and memories and I've gotten to build our legacy together. But he uses the word I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, at least not that you know of. Yet you never even gave me so much as a young little goat, which we got everywhere for crying out loud, they're in the house. So I could celebrate with my friends. And now watch how he disassociates himself from the rebellious younger brother. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you throw a big stinking party. You kill the fatted calf. And so now we see the heart, oopsie, see the heart of the religious rule following, church going, pharisaical, religious leader, older brothers is revealed. And we find that while these two brothers went about their lives very differently, their hearts are actually in maybe the exact same place. Because the older brother missed the point the whole time. It was about being with the father. It was about being with the family. It was about having this inheritance and this legacy. And what, what do you need? Ask for it. But he, see, when he says, I've slaved for you, he's giving his hand away because when an older brother says something like that, what he's saying is he believes that his obedience actually entitles him to certain things. Come on, church people. See, an older brother heart, an older brother spirit says, the longer I do the right things and the more boxes I check and the longer I do all the right things, actually, I'm entitled to good things to happen to me. And when it doesn't, and good things happen to people who have not been following the rules and not checking the boxes and spoiled all the wealth and wild living, we're like, this is not fair. This is not right. This son of yours, why? Because I believe that all my years of doing the right thing in front of the right people actually have entitled me to a life that I deserve. And, and, and we've missed the point completely. And I love that the father is just relentless with his heart with both of the boys. And it's the same heart because watch how it ends in verse 30 and 31. He says, or 31 and 32, he says, my son, he basically like, you missed it. My son, still bestowing his integrity, still bestowing his position. My son, you have always been with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. See, the, the father so lovingly rebukes the older son. He says, you've missed the point. It wasn't about the land. It wasn't about the property. It wasn't about the slaving. It was about we get to do this together. We get to be together. It was about being in my presence. It was about understanding. And he's like, everything I've had is just, what do you want? You want a party next weekend? What do you want? Applebee's, Chili's? Like, pick, who do you want to invite? It's not a big deal. But he's missed the point because the older brother now has lost 
all sight of what's important to the father. And he's so focused on himself and he believes that his religion and his rules and obedience have now put him in a category or a tier above this guy and have entitled him to certain things. And he cannot handle it when the things he thinks he deserves, he doesn't get and really can't handle it when people who don't deserve get the things he thinks he deserves. And here's what I love about this story. You see the heart of both of the boys. See, both of the boys sought for ways to get out from underneath their father's authority. Both the brothers looked for opportunities to, to have the father's things. They wanted the father's things, but they didn't really care about having the father. The younger son says, I, you may as well be dead to me. The older brother says, well, what do I get? What's mine? Yet both of these boys were lost in their heart. And I'm just going to go on a side note for one minute about the older brother, because I, I, I could write a book about being a religious older brother in my real life. I think his lostness is so much more dangerous and it's so much more harder to spot because he follows the rules and is a good little boy or good little girl. But his heart is dark and wrong. And I think for some of us and for myself, for a lot of times, I have to ask myself, I just had a conversation with a friend about this today. Why am I doing the right things? Is it, because it because I wanna be with the Father and it makes life better? Is it because if I do enough right things in front of the right people the right amount of times, good things are gonna to happen to me? Which really says I don't trust God to take care of me and I don't really enjoy my time with him. I'm still trying to carve out my own way. And so you have two sons, both trying to get out from underneath their father's authority. Two sons, both wanted the father's property and things but none of them really were interested in being with the father. So at the core of their heart, in the motive of their spirit, both sons, you can make a really compelling case, were equally lost. Yet you have this unbelievable father that shows that even though they both were lost, even though they both were wrong, both sons were equally and dearly loved. So we didn't wanna just tell you this story. We actually kind of wanted to show you so if I, had to, if I had to bring this moment or I have to bring this story to life, and, and there's still an amazing point to end with, but if we had to bring it to life, I would, I would show you actually a rebellious brother who, who walked over to an older brother and a father and said, I don't care about you. I don't care about relationship with you. I actually have, I want nothing to do with you. Just give me what's mine. Give me my inheritance. Give me the money and let me go do me. And as I finally got that inheritance and I took that money, I left and I went to a far and I went to a distant land. And as I got to this distant land, I, I had the best of times. I began to party, I began to have a great time, I began to have all the sex, all the drugs, all the alcohol, and it was so much fun and it was so exciting. But as I continued in the lifestyle of these things, these things started to turn against me. They started to come at me. They started to entangle me. They started to work against me. They started to put me into more despair and more anxiety and more strongholds and more issues and more hopelessness. And as I found myself in a state of hopelessness, the issue was I couldn't get free. I was stuck. And as I sat here stuck, I thought, I thought there is one. There is one person that could come, that could come get me. There's one person who has the power there. There is one person who has the authority. There's one person who has the ability to free me from these chains. 
All I could do was wait. <laughs> to wait to see. To see if he would come. Have you heard about what's happened to your brother? My brother? My brother? I don't have a brother. Oh, you mean your son? Yeah, I heard what happened. It got back to me that he's lost all his money, got gambling addiction, ran with the wrong crowd. You know what, Dad? I'm so tired of hearing about that brother. He left us a long time ago. He defamed you. He embarrassed you. He embarrassed me. He embarrassed our family. We saw this coming a long time ago. He, we saw this when he was six years old, always bending the rules and pushing the limits. That kid got what was coming to him. I hope he's not dead, but I'll tell you what, Dad, that kid needs a wake-up call. Yeah, I heard what happens to him, and I hope he learns his lesson. I got no space in my heart and time in my, in my even daily schedule to work on any, worry about him. I got too much stuff to do for you because we're here trying to build a legacy and he's just trying to ruin it. Yeah, I heard and ask me if I care because I don't. While all that may be true, he's still my son and I love him. I just want him home. He's not coming. I knew I screwed up. I knew I messed up too much. I took him for granted. I know I didn't care, but he, I thought he could. I have nothing left, but maybe I could at least, I'll go back. Maybe I could work for my dad. Maybe I'll go work. I'll be a servant. I don't care. It's better than this. It's better than being stuck. It's my only chance. Son, I, I, I've got a whole speech. I've got, I, no, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I know I messed up, I know I messed up. I know I screwed up, I took you for granted. I'm, I'm trying to make it right. I'll work for you, I don't even have to come back. You know, I, I, I get it. It's okay, I know all of that. What are but you doing? you're my son. I have to work, let no, me work. you're my son, I love you. Welcome home. Why aren't you inside? Come inside. Dad, we've been through, what do you mean am I inside? I can't believe you just like that, just sign off a bill of like, you're free to go, son. He's, he's back and all of a sudden we got, we're taking the day off, we're throwing a party, everybody's here. I have been literally obeying you and working my tail off for you my entire life. I've never asked for anything. I do the right things, the right ways. I go to church, I serve in leadership. I've done all the things you've taught me and you never even once were like, hey, boy, thanks. Nobody really cares that I do the right thing. I've gone unnoticed my whole life. And now this son of yours who completely squandered my inheritance. If we let him back, it's my now inheritance. I have to give him. No, I'm not going back in. I don't care. I'm so, I do not under, oh. You're right. It's so not fair and it's so not right. You're right. He's made mistakes. He's been foolish. He's, he is broken, but he's your brother. And he's my son, and I love you both very much. All this time that you have been home with me, everything I've had has been yours. All the money, all the property, 
all the power. You've done so much. But you also had the key. You could have gone and brought him home. It could have been you. And that's where this story takes a little bit of turn from the other two stories. See, you have to remember as Jesus was telling the audience the story this day, he was trying to help everybody in the crowd understand what God's heart was for all of them, for the lost and rebellious, for the found and home. And see, in the first story, you have a shepherd who literally leaves the flock and goes to get the one that's lost. And in the second story, you have a woman who rather than count one coin as lost, tears the house upside down to find one coin. And then in the third story, you have a son who goes off, but nobody goes after him. And see, we read this with a modern Western mind, but every reader in that day understood what should have happened. See, when you were bestowed the birthright as the oldest, you were given that double portion. It also came with the responsibility that you now took care of all of the siblings. It's why Reuben was so concerned about Joseph in the story in Genesis, because it was actually on his head. And see what Jesus is trying to tell the story is, is both matter. And in the, and the audience, everybody knew that it shouldn't have actually been the father who went to get the son. It should have been the older brother. And here's the craziest part of the story. That's where it ends. If you were in the audience that day, you would literally be on the edge of the seat like, what happened? Did the brother go in? Did they celebrate? Did he take off? Were the brothers ever okay together? Did he give him his inheritance, much diminished to bring him back? What happened? And it's the only story Jesus never finished because we are the answer to the question of what happened because he's literally standing with two groups of people and they're going, what happened? And he's looking at this group of older brother religious people and he goes, it depends on if you can get God's heart for them or if you're gonna remain an older brother who can only look at himself. See, when he said you had the key, we're the key, we're the older brother. And our job isn't just to protect the property, but there's a, we have a city and a region full of lost younger brothers and it's actually not the father's responsibility to go run after them, although he will. He's really looking for some sons and daughters who have his heart that the most important thing to him is the most important thing to us. And he's saying, will you take your key and will you go unlock someone's freedom? Will you run into the gates of hell and pull somebody out of hell? Just maybe, just maybe they'll believe that this gospel might actually be for them, that God can love them, that God can forgive them. Not my boss, not my neighbor. Yes. And the reason I love this story is it's a story for everybody. Because maybe you're like, Maybe we're telling your story and you're the religious or you're the rebellious younger brother. You're like, I could not have done more stuff wrong to God. Guess what? The story's for and about you. There's a father in heaven who would literally and did literally give up everything, give up his authority, power, shame, dignity, all and endured shame. Why? So that you could come home to the family of God so he could love you, heal you, forgive you, set you free. So this story is for you. And in a minute, we're gonna pray. And if you wanna come home, we're gonna say that prayer. and We want you to pray for us. We want you to pray with us. 
But also if you're like the, oh, pastor, great story, but I've never really associated with the younger brother. I kind of always did the right thing. Then this story is for you. Have we been so busy, us older brothers, us religious brothers, following all the rules, doing all the things that we've forgotten the most important thing. And that is that there are lost, hurting, dying people. Then God is just going, does anybody down there have my heart? Is what's important to me important to any of these other people who worship me all day long and sing these songs on Sunday and they know these scriptures, but they don't seem to care that he's gone. Because see, metaphorically speaking, God has given all of us keys to people in our lives and he's saying, maybe, just maybe, you're called to give it your best shot and go see who you can bring home with you. So my question as we close, two questions. First, which brother are you? If you're really honest, which brother are you? I've told you many times about how I've had to kind of deconstruct my faith and unlearn some things. And I went through some, some hard times as I was developing as, as a follower of Jesus. It was this stuff where I had to die to a lot of religion. I actually was in a place where I thought I was better than people who obeyed less. And it entitled me to other things and it led to a lot of anger and frustration. But fortunately, I got to be under somebody who taught me what it meant to love some people who were broken and to go get some and pull some people out of hell. And I'm not the best at it, but I am an older brother who is now learning how to go get younger brothers and bring them home. And that's what the one is about. We don't have to save the world, but there's gotta be one person in your life that you know needs the Jesus you have, if you're an older brother, needs the hope, the healing, because at some point, somewhere along the line, all of us were somebody else's one. Somebody else went out of their way to bring us to Jesus. And so we wanna be kind of relentlessly, passionately, unapologetically fanatical about reaching other people for Jesus. And if you're the younger brother, the Bible says Jesus paid it all. He lived the perfect life, died a horrific death to stand in your place so that you could come home. In the story, unfortunately, this brother got a Pharisee for an older brother, but you and I, we got Jesus for an older brother who left heaven, came here and rescued every single one of us. And the Bible says, if you will confess him as Lord and believe he did that for you, then you can be saved, have eternal life and get joy and peace and purpose in your life and experience healing. And we would love to pray for you for that. And so question number one, what brother are you? We're gonna pray together and close right now. And the second question is this, if you would dare to identify yourself as the religious older brother, let me ask a really important question. Is what's most important to dad most important to you? If, if you would say, I'm probably more the older brother, then would you be able to confidently say, the most important thing to the heavenly father, the thing that matters the most to his heart matters to me. If not, let's just pray and take a moment where we can say, God, get me back to the main thing. Break my heart for what break you, breaks yours. Let me care about what you care about. So as we pray, I'm gonna say a prayer for us older brothers and us younger brothers. And just agree and join me wherever you're at behind the screen in person. If you need to come home, you can kind of say this prayer in your own words. Or if you need a heart, kind of a heart work, then you can just say this prayer with me. But it's time for us to come home and it's time for us to bring some people home. We're gonna bring this all together next week in one final week. But I wanted to prime the pump and I love this story because it's for all of us. God's just up in heaven looking for some older brothers to go get some younger brothers and bring them home bow your heads with me if you would. If you're in this room and you identify more with me, my character, my story, just pray some version of this or agree with this in your heart. Heavenly Father, I recognize 
my, my older brother's spirit, I recognize that, that the most important things to you may not be the most important things to me. And so God, I ask you now, I, I ask you to forgive me. I pray that you would realign my perspective, that you would, would get me focused on the right things. God, I, I repent, I apologize for making uh, myself be convinced that my obedience has entitled me to certain things. And God, I just wanna love all of your children the way you do. Give me your heart, God. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Make the most important things to you the most important things to me. And for anybody who's here, you, you identify with the younger brother and you know you need to come home. Just say some version of this prayer, whisper it out loud, or I'll pause a little bit. You can say it if you want, just between really you and God. God, I see your love for me. I thank you that I'm never too far gone. Thank you for your grace, your love, for literally leaving heaven to come rescue me. I'm ready for you to be the Lord of my life. Heal me, forgive me, save me. I'm ready to come home in Jesus' name, amen.